Now you've done it. It's showtime! All right. Hello and welcome. This is ultimately the first episode to the Play Better Pinball Podcast. Hi, I am Chris Stevens and I'm joined by Evan. Hello. Hello. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about a couple of things today. The one thing I want us to get started with is our introductions into how we got into pinball. And then eventually we have a special guest with us. We're gonna talk about uh, the Papa building and the past Papa championships. And then eventually we'll roll into uh, future Papa championships. But that um, exciting. It's it's gonna be very exciting. I'm, I'm I'm definitely excited about it. I mean pinball in general. You know I miss it. I, I really miss playing pinball. I miss seeing people and playing pinball. And uh, that's kind of how I got started in in this whole this whole hobby was just kind of going out there and and wanting to see what pinball is all about and uh, i used to play it with my dad whenever i was really little and then uh, one day i ran into pete hendrix at the local arcade and he put a, a pittsburgh pinball league business card in the back glass of the brand new stern indiana jones and then i was curious and i you know i met up with him and started meeting all the people around the pittsburgh pinball league at the uh, the beehive coffee shop and uh, then it kind of just went from there. But uh, I'm curious, Bookie, uh, how did you get involved in uh, in this hobby? Well, I had pinball in my house since I can remember. Um, maybe we'll save it for another episode as to how we acquired those machines growing up. But uh, we had one game pretty much my whole childhood and went off to school at Penn State and kind of played there by myself uh, at the two awesome arcades and the residence halls um, through college. And eventually, you know, you get a career and get some money and like, whoa, hey, you can buy your own machine. And thankfully that was at the downturn of the market in 2000 and started my collection. Um, long story short, 15 years later, moved to Pittsburgh back in 2014 and still didn't know what was going on. And, uh, through the grapevine heard about this papa thing um went in there that april and walked into the papa building and i was like holy smokes i cannot believe that this facility exists 15 minutes from my house and had no idea so i walk in there and uh similarly <laughs> asked for like hey you know i want to get introduced to this whole thing i heard there's this thing called competitive pinball i you know pretty much just a home player and they also introduced me to Petey Hendricks, who told me about League and whatever. And, uh, well, off to the races. Here we are. So kind of a long background with pinball in my life. But the competitive aspect and playing with other people regularly is just in the last, you know, five, six years. It's kind of funny that you bring up the competitive part of it, because I, whenever I first met Doug Polka, was my first day at the Pittsburgh Pinball League. And I remember the first thing I asked him was, we're not allowed to move the machine, right? And he like looked at me and was like, well, well, yeah. And I was like, dang, 
because I, I I would never move the machine. I just would play with the flipper buttons. And whenever I played against someone that moved the machine, I was like, oh, like they're cheating. And I think that's something that people that aren't used to playing pinball competitively tend to think. I mean, are you in agreement with that? Absolutely. My whole <laughs> life, I'm like, what is a tilt warning? <laughs> you know, type thing. And then, you know, you walked in a papa and I mean, these people are getting... I don't want to use the word like in the wrong context, but like aggressive with the machines. And I was like, wait, that's allowed. And everybody yep. else seems to be okay with it. And then here you are realizing that's a hugely important part of keeping the ball alive and, and, and strategy And the games. Like, no, I'll tell you when you've had enough. <laughs> so um, just learning how to nudge has been, I mean, it's still a work in progress. I'm, infinitely better than i was five years ago but that's one of the incredible aspects of this game that i had no idea you know for my entire life that that was allowed or even a thing let alone a skillful thing yeah it's it's interesting and uh, i mean i've i think i've been a part of pinball since uh, i think 2007 2008 while i was in college and it seems like you've only been a part of pinball for how many years with you guys all here in Pittsburgh, it was uh, 2016. Yeah, but uh, but hey, we happen to have a special guest with us today who has been part of Pinball and Papa longer than I've been playing Pinball uh, professionally and competitively, and I would like to welcome Tyler Sutton. How's it going, Tyler? Hey guys, how you doing? Doing pretty good. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good myself. Um, I'm excited to have you here and excited to, to talk with you about some pinball. But we, we talked a little bit about how we got into pinball. Can you uh, give us uh, a little background information on how you got started and then when you got started? Yeah, sure. Um, nowadays, like pinball is kind of pervasive and it's kind of gotten into a lot of places. But um, back when I first really kind of got seriously into pinball there weren't a lot of places like that like sure a few bars would have a machine here or there but you wouldn't have places like the kickback or all these pinball bars out in new york or seattle <clears throat> but there was sort of like a little enclave in in uh in uh pittsburgh and i think you mentioned it chris there's this place called the beehive which is a coffee shop on the south side of pittsburgh and the one guy that ran it steve steve zumoff kept like four machines in the back in, in pretty good order and I just happened to be in there and I, you know, kind of got to playing it and it kind of like set my curiosity and I, I happened to get a job there. So I was there a lot and uh, I would play them, but I wasn't like too serious about it. And then one day I saw this guy going there. His name was Mo. He was a janitor there and he just blew up Monster Bash. And it blew Ooh. my mind because I played it and I like it, it just it just seemed like, you know, chance i did i didn't understand like there was a way you could kind of really progress in the game and i saw him in it i think something went off in my mind like just under the, where i was just like i want to understand how to how to do that and uh yeah so i, I think that's what really kind of like set it off for me it's interesting because we we talked about the nudging aspect but you have like the rules aspect to all these games where most people walk up to a machine, right, Tyler, where it may be a, a theme that catches your attention or the sounds or the lights or some combination of those makes you want to put, you know, 75 cents or a dollar or whatever right. it is into the machine. Exactly. 
and you play it. You know, you're trying to keep the ball alive, hit the blinking lights, and, you know, we, we'll get into some of that. But then you realize that some of these games have a whole storyline behind them and that scoring is yeah, exactly a very detailed strategy. And it's like, whoa, there's a whole game inside the game here. Oh, right? yes. But uh, actually, like, Steve... And a few others actually had a league in Pittsburgh back then. And, and then I got involved with that. And uh, it was like a league that actually preceded the PPL. But for some reason back then, it was a team league. So you had to have a, t- a partner. And it was like enough to get maybe 10 teams, you know, like 20 people at tops was, you know, about the size of it back then. So PPL, Tyler, is the, the Pittsburgh Pinball League, for those who don't know. And we've got, you know, well north of 100 members now. What what time frame are you talking about? I'm talking about like about 2003. Oh wow! And actually, yeah, it actually at one point Kevin Martin actually played in the league. So I, I've actually played alongside Kevin Martin in leagues like way back then. So who's the, who's the guy that uh, kind of put Pop all together? At least in the Pittsburgh incarnation. So yeah, that's uh, it's interesting stuff. How you're naming names and it's like oh you know this person I remember this person I've heard about this person I've played pinball with this person. And uh, just like you said, Kevin Martin, the uh, kind of the the pursuing pinball aficionado in Pittsburgh that kind of got the championships up and running um, in Carnegie, uh, yeah. close to Pittsburgh. And I believe he got the he got the rights off of uh, Steve Epstein. <clears throat> That's right. Yeah, I think that I think he ran it in New York, but it was kind of a much smaller thing. And then Kevin brought it to Pittsburgh, and I'm not exactly sure of the year. But uh, he kind of made it its own. Yeah, it's kind of cool how that uh, they kind of moved from New York to Pittsburgh. And then uh, I'm sure a lot of people, whenever they think of Papa and the Papa Championships, they think Pittsburgh. But uh, but in the beginning, I, I remember learning about about the Papa Championships in New York and how they, they play these championships in like hotels. Right. And and like just being a part of it starting it whenever I started like looking at it and being like, wow, like there's a building dedicated to these pinball championships and this crazy, awesome carpeting on the floor. <laughs> and it's multiple days of playing. Yeah. Like it blew my mind. The first time you walk into the Papa facility, it is like a complete mind blowing experience. Like it's just, you just like, there's more machines than your brain knows what to do with. And it really takes you a while to kind of acclimate. That's exactly how I felt when I walked in there. And I think Elizabeth Cromwell was was behind the counter and, and she sent me off to meet Petey. And then I just, I put my cell phone video on record and just walked around like a goofball, like an <laughs> eight-year-old kid. And it's an embarrassing video to rewatch, not from just the sheer amazement of all the pinball machines and the cool carpet and all these people who I now consider close friends who I didn't know from Adam back then. But my commentary is just, it's embarrassingly funny. Oh, just like in shock and awe that this place with 400 something pinball machines and another couple hundred arcade games, which I was also into. It's just like, like you said, all of this in one building. Hello. (laughs) This is like the best day of my life. So it's always pretty funny to see the first reactions of people heading to the Papa Championships and seeing the Papa facility. And I, I kind of like uh, hearing everyone else's first time experience. So uh, let's let's go through that. And I'll, I'll start us off. 
by uh, saying that whenever I went to my first Poppy Championships, I, I've only was playing pinball uh, competitively for about two years. So I think it was around 2009, 2010. And, uh, and I ended up going to the facility and I was just like, oh, cool. I'm going to be here with my friends that I've been playing pinball with for the past couple of years. And whenever I showed up and just saw how many people were there that I was unfamiliar with, but I got to meet. And then like, I'm never going to forget seeing Bo and Karen's playing a pinball machine and like hitting the side of the, of the cabinet. And I'm just like, look at this guy go. He's putting up a huge score. Like it just blew my mind. And I, I went in and I played in the C division and I didn't even qualify. And I, I remember the first game that I learned how to play because of it being in the bank of games to play was Doctor Who. And I was talking to John Replogle and I was like, hey, if I'm going to play this game, what do I do to maximize my points? And he was like, I think you should just do the loops where you shoot to the left orbit and it comes back to the upper left flipper. And then you flip it on the ramp and then you keep repeating that as long as you can until you get to the sonic boom and then you do the boom and then you keep rolling with it. And I I couldn't play that Doctor Who for the life of me. I think my my scores are like I don't think I broke 30 million that I just I just couldn't I couldn't get a hold of it. And I, I didn't I didn't care. I was I was at a new place. It was stuff that I love. I was with people that I were close friends and and I had a blast and 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 it was such a great experience. I didn't even play in any of the other tournaments. I didn't play in classics. And it was just a great time. So, you know, that was my first papa. So uh Evan, how was uh, how was your first papa? I, I just want to say for the record, because we did do Doctor Who on a Papa TV live episode a couple of years ago, that it, <laughs> it still crushes souls to this day. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so that day that I walked in for the first time and, and met Petey Hendricks and everybody and walking around, I was like, okay, well, there's something going on here. You know, why are all these people here? Um, so they kind of explained that to me. Um, and thankfully it was a, it was a Thursday, which was day one of the, the four days. So it was, it was pretty quiet. And I met Jared and Sarah Chambers that day because it was kind of quiet over in the C division, D division areas that they were watching over. I got a chance to talk to them about competitive pinball and anything. And I'm just looking over the, the banks of games. So, so each division has a number of different pinball machines that, that you can play on for the tournament. And I'm thinking to myself, well... I thought I was super good at home, nudging aside and not knowing about it, but I had no idea. And I'm like, well, I must be better in D division. So I'll, I'll play in C division because there's a Twilight Zone in there and I have one. So Nice like, choice. Oh, a game I, I'm familiar with. Well, <laughs> there's something about Twilight Zones where one copy to the next seemed to play completely different. I don't know why, but that game seems to have the most variance in, in shot making from one example to the next. And I don't know why, but uh, it took my soul, as did everything else. Yeah. Remember, I think, Mousing Around and a couple other games that I was vaguely familiar with. But keep in mind that outside of my basement, since like high school, going to the arcades and, and early college, there had been this gap of like 15 years where I hadn't played anything on location. So all at that point, the very late Bally Williams and then the whole run of Stearns, um, all new to me 
So it's kind of overwhelming, but uh, I also got crushed in, in C division and just decided to enjoy my rest of the weekend meeting people, which uh, I'll just finish up with this one quick story. So I'm talking to my friend, Jeremy, uh, back in new England, who I grew up with. I've known my whole life, you know, not really pinball wise, but uh, he's like, Oh, my, my friend's there. You should go uh, up and introduce yourself to him. He's, he's really good at pinball. I was like, okay. I was like, what's his name? He's like Bowen Karens. I'm like, okay. It's like, what does he look like? Blah, blah, blah. He's like, you'll know when you find him. Cause I hear he's pretty good at pinball. So I go meet this guy and I tell him about Jeremy and he's like, Oh, Oh, Oh. And he takes a break from his game. I don't realize he's like in the middle of classics finals. I have no idea. I'm completely oblivious and making a complete fool of myself apparently. And uh, he comes over and like has the decency to, to chat with me. And cause we have this mutual friend, a, a close friend of his, um, we kind of strike it up and talk and, who would have known he and I become like amazing friends all these years later. And then I go home and find out, you know, he's ranked like third in the world or whatever it was. And I'm just like, I cannot believe I just did that. <laughs> you know, my friend said to go meet this guy and you know, whatever. So it was kind of funny in hindsight. And I think Bowen ended up winning that classics side tournament that I bugged him in. So anyways, all was well, but uh, it was an amazing weekend. And then just watching the people, like you said, um, when we got to the semifinals and finals, I kind of broke away from my kind of free play experience and went to watch these guys and realized not only is this something I want to get into, you know, a, a challenge to yourself, but holy smokes, there are like 20, 30, 40 plus, you know, just absolutely amazing people in this sport. I guess at that point, I realized it was a sport. Just mind blown at the the skills that these people had on all these games. That's what kind of got me hooked was that day and that weekend. Yeah, that's uh, it's pretty exciting. And I think it's funny that you're you're mentioning talking to Bowen and then how well he was doing because, you know, he's top tier player and he's a, a fun person to be around. And I bet you guys are also able to to bond over your your baseball teams and football teams i'm sure yeah i didn't even know like he would come to rhode island for these uh science bowl quiz bowl whatever that thing was called back in the high school days and whatever and it's kind of like oh i probably knew of this guy but didn't know him back then so it was in a completely different realm than uh than pinball to, to find out who he was and how good he is i mean i had learned a massive amount from him and you know while we're on the topic the pinball tutorials that he's published for papa is a resource bar none but the most amazing thing that any new player can can take advantage of just by going onto the papa website and watching hours and hours and hours probably weeks of, of video and tutorials on how to learn and play the games and it's just amazing he's definitely the best i think that's enough of my experience but uh tyler how about you man tell me about your first papa experience yeah well mine's kind of weird but i want to put in on that the one i never understood is the uh the road show tutorial he did he did all three balls in different locations, and I don't know how they preserve ball state. That's that's just a mystery that I've never that I've never understood. I don't know if you guys ever caught that one. <laughs> but uh, like he like in ball two, he's like in some sunset vista, and I'm like, how did they do that? It's like pinball magic. Hey, he traveled across the the North America, right? I know it's amazing, and they kept it plugged in the whole time. <laughs> yeah. If you watch the video, watch the road show. Yeah, I, that's kind of what I should say. You guys should watch that. That's a particularly interesting uh, tutorial. But actually, my it's my 
intro to Papa was probably a little bit different than the two of yours because I kind of entered into Papa as sort of a, a small time employee. Before it was really sort of a big operation, they were just kind of getting started. They had the whole place set up. And I, I don't know if you guys were aware of this, but it, it was sort of a terrible thing. There was a, a large flood in the Pittsburgh area and it hit a lot of different regions. And unfortunately, Carnegie, where, where Papa's located, is one of them. And virtually the entire collection was underwater. Um, maybe all of it. I, I wasn't there when it happened. But from what I understand, all the machines that Kevin had there at the time were lost. And I think they were able to salvage like about 10 of them. So from that point forward, like everything was like this like huge rebuilding phase. And around that time, I was still friendly with Steve Zumoff, who was affiliated with Papa at the time. And I was playing pinball at Papa and talk, I mean, I'm sorry, I was playing pinball at the Beehive. And I got to talking to him and I was like, hey, if you guys need help, I would love to help out. I'd love to kind of like, you know, like get into this. And he's like, sure, show up this time, uh, you know, on Tuesday at eight or something like that. I was like, great. So I, I show up and uh, at that point, all of the new machines that they had were in the back in the front of the house, the, the place with the infamous carpeting was just being renovated to, to recover from the flood. So in the back, I, you know, I met a, a bunch of guys like a, a guy that used to run Papa, Steve Bach, and another guy named Rob Chesnovich, who used to also run Papa at the time. Uh, back then, it was a very small crew that ran the place and Kevin and Steve were there. And we, uh, we went around and we just cleaned up games and got them ready. And that's kind of how I got kind of affiliated with working with, with pinball machines. I remember the first machine I worked on was blue chip, which is an old single player EM. And uh, that was kind of magical opening up the machine. So I worked there for a while. And uh, while that happened, I remember like one day they actually came in and installed that infamous Chuck E. Cheese-esque carpet into the place. Glorious. <laughs> and it, yeah, so it was great. And uh, there was actually one day in particular that was that was pretty special because <laughs> I, I was still pretty young and pinball, I was in my 20s and I, really didn't know much pinball beyond what was at the beehive. And maybe I played over a few people's houses and stuff at that point, but I, you know, I maybe only ever played, I don't know, 35 different machines and, and Papa has a lot more than that. And, uh, one day I showed up for work and I guess like we just weren't coming in that day and nobody told me it was like a normal day that we came in. But the thing was the door was unlocked. <laughs> oh, you didn't. So I just walked in and I, well, I didn't even know no one was coming. I just walked in and I was like waiting for people to show up. And I just walked around an extension cord and played, played a bunch of machines. And uh, <laughs> it, it was it was literally like one of the most magical moments of my life because I just was like, I'm going to play this. I've never heard of I've never heard of this game before. I've never heard of Class of 1812. And, you know, I, I just got affiliated with a lot of games. I think I, I spent like four hours there and then of no, course i told man. steve i was like you know the door was unlocked and apparently there was something wrong with it where it didn't lock correctly and they fixed it but uh that was uh, that was definitely a completely magical uh moment where i kind of that was the first time i was like alone with all these pinball machines and it was like this really really great moment picturing you walking around with a an extension cord yeah it like it, it brings a whole new meaning to plug and play for me now it's not plugged in yet yeah, it was like something it was like something out of a movie. It was pretty amazing. And after that, I, I went on and I actually worked the first Papa I was at. I want to say this was like maybe 
maybe Papa eight. I might I might be getting that wrong, but it was a, around around then. And me and me and Dave Bach were sort of low level employees, and we just sort of helped with things that were needed. We moved machines around, helped clean up the facility, did some minor work on machines and stuff like that. And I remember Steve gave us a few token entries, and we we put a few token entries that really didn't do much. So that was about it. A few years later, you know, I, I went back and I, I actually qualified for C, and that was really exciting. I remember I had like a right before midnight where midnight was the cutoff i qualified with a, a two billion point ball on corvette and i, I got in which would happen to be like the number one score or something like that and got in that, that was pretty exciting oh uh, that's that's a good feeling right there yeah it was up like, a game like, like 11th hour two minutes of midnight you know it was it was pretty great i'm sure it made other uh some of the other competitors sweating like maybe the person that might have had the uh the number one uh score on the corvette was watching you play like oh no here he comes oh no here he comes i think most of the facility was cleared out this is actually kind of a fun little caveat you guys know like in funhouse where sometimes all the um all the initials will, will be overwritten with rudy yes so <laughs> I guess like Kevin got in his his mind that he was going to do kind of an Easter egg to the Papa scoring. And he had done that to like all the names for all the scores for everything. So like, <laughs> I thought I had qualified, but I couldn't see because all the names were actually just written Rudy. Oh, and, no. Yeah. And I had to wait until the, the joke was over to actually see if I had actually qualified. So it was actually sort of a little bit. It was, it was kind of a funny joke, but it was like kind of happening at an inopportune moment for me. I know it's meant to be a funny joke, but I, I wonder how many people didn't end up laughing at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's done it since, but it was actually, it was kind of a, a, an interesting little little piece of flavor that happened like at least one year. I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think I've seen that happen for, you know, 10 years, but yeah, it was interesting. That's some good stuff, man. I, I love hearing about the, the older Papa. Cause I, all I can really do now is kind of watch some, past streams of it and uh, and like look up results but there's still so much of it that are not a part of the internet that you really can't experience what it was like back then i know i wish we had like streaming and video and all those things back then yeah to, to, to see i guess like how many how much fewer how many fewer people like were in the sport back then and the games that folks played on back then that were considered new at the time would have been interesting yeah um you know all that stuff but there's two points tyler made i thought were funny it was like the carpet being brought in because we just like all naturally assumed it came that way um (laughs) (laughs) but i guess you know hurricane ivan you know back in 2004 it's just what a sad story meteorology Um, right there and and now we also know uh, what date the alarm system was installed at the old papa building for real (laughs) It's, it's all because of tyler I was I was hoping for a funny alarm went off and police story, but we're not going to get that. No, no, nothing like that happened. <laughs> Just uh, ty- Tyler with an extension cord learning all of the games. That's yeah, awesome. pretty yeah, much. I, I didn't I didn't quite master them all just in that one day, but it, it was a really great experience. Was there any uh, any particular game during your plug and play fiasco that you remember spending the most time on? Um, I I actually spe- like I said I, I specifically remember class of eighteen twelve. I mean, I've played so many games in that building, like it all sort of sort of blurs together. I, I remember playing um, Surf and Safari. Just, you know, I'm trying to think of like other ones that really, really stood out. Goofy Gottliebs. Yeah, like Goofy Gottliebs. Exactly. That's me. Love it's just like stuff that I had never seen, which is like super, you know, 
really attracted to me. But, you know, like what the collection was then is like, you know, kind of dwarfs in comparison to as what, what it's become because they've, they've added on a bunch of other things. True. But one other funny one other funny story that I can definitely add into, we were unloading a lot of games because so many games have been lost that Kevin had been buying like lots of games from, you know, wherever. So he would get a, a truck full of 12 games at once and we would unload them and clean them up and and what have you replace rubbers at least to just and clean the play field and um one game in particular that i was in charge of cleaning up was bonsai run and something that no one had ever told me is if you're opening up a bonsai run you need to lower the play field glass before you raise the head <laughs> and i don't know if you guys have ever worked on one of those because if you don't it'll shatter the play field glass. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no one told me. So I just go to raise the head on the machine and just like a car crash, the entire play field glass just shatters all over the play field. Oh, no. And uh, <laughs> that was about an hour's worth of shop back work. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The shop back time. It's, it's and, and like that noise, it, it like reverberates throughout everywhere. Yeah. Fortunately, I don't think that uh, that the playful got scratched up or anything like that. But uh, yeah, that was definitely one memorable moment of like, oh, <laughs> like, that game apparently has, has it out for people. Um, that same bonsai run, you know, fast forward a decade or so. And my first uh, Pinberg was was teching because I didn't feel comfortable getting playing after getting trounced at papa <laughs> so i decided to to tech and i remember justin brooks and i performing tech work on that same bonsai run and also didn't know the proper procedure of lifting the upper play field and i kind of wish the glass would have shattered because slicing half my finger off was an equally Ooh. sad alternative yeah you just yeah it's such a unique game that they should put a sign on it or something <laughs> yeah they kind of need a sign on it that's similar to uh playing with the the raising play field on doctor who oh right? yeah that could be uh a casualty for sure but uh i, I love hearing all these stories that we're talking about papa and uh, basically kind of reliving some of the moments that you know you've had i'm sure that a lot of the listeners are going to have stories like that. And if you do have a fun story or something that you want to discuss, you know, feel free to email us at playbetterpinball at gmail.com. I would love to, uh, to read and know what uh, your experience was. Uh, tell me about your first Papa experience, your first pinball experience, your first tournament experience at the old Papa facility. And I'm saying old because they're moving. They're basically going to be having uh, probably a new facility. We're not sure yet, but we will be having the return of the Papa Championships coming in the year 2021. And I'm sure just like all of the people and players in this hobby, I'm pretty excited. Tyler, are you uh, you looking forward to this return? Oh, I definitely am. I'm, I mean, just on a much larger note, I'd like to just say like I'm looking forward to a return of civilization. But beyond that, yeah. <laughs> beyond yes. that, like I'm, I'm like definitely looking forward to it. I mean, it's uh, it's been such a big part of uh, kind of Pittsburgh pinball. It's sort of like the mecca. I mean, Pinburg obviously has kind of become one too, um, which actually used to be held at the same Papa facility because they kind of like merged together. But yeah, I mean, Papa itself has been so great. Like one of my favorite things of all time has always been watching the A division finals and in, in Papa and. I've watched virtually all of them since I worked there and it's always been like a super big treat. It's, it's kind of like my Super Bowl 
like like back when i first started watching like watching lyman sheets was like you know the best and now i don't know hey people like chris stevens could be there so who knows <laughs> yeah unfortunately i have yet to make it to a papa championship finals i've qualified twice and i was very happy about that but uh, now i'm starting to kind of pump myself up to be like well you know I, I can't be satisfied with just qualifying this year like i really need to put forth this effort but like I think I'm still so entranced by how much fun it is to be at the Papa Championships and at the facility and seeing the people that I spend a lot of time walking around and playing games on the floor and watching some of my my friends compete in their divisions and ultimately just talking to some of the players and spectators that just happen to show up and come in and uh, and travel pretty far to be a part of uh, of these championships and so I like to think that all these things that are coming, there's a lot of stuff to look forward to. I don't think people realize just qualifying for the final rounds of Papa is in itself an, an amazing accomplishment. And, and yeah, we'll get into the format and, and how that all comes about. I did have one last question for Tyler on his earlier experiences, and it, it it's, it's after the flood, and you briefly touched on this, but I think it's important because for those of us who've been to, to Papa or Pinberg in any recent years sees just the vast volume of machines, right? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of machines, not only in the tournament, but in, in the free play area themselves. And they didn't come out of thin air. And, and you mentioned that hurricane Ivan back in 04, um, kind of wiped out the entire Papa collection, save for a handful of games. And what I wanted to ask you was, you know, being there with Papa, what was that experience like over the coming year, a couple years of, of reacquiring machines? Because I think it was almost serendipitous that the hurricane and the flood happened when it did in so much as it was at the, the downturn of, of the market. Yeah. Whereas if something like that happened today, where every game's value is at its all time high. Yeah. You almost wonder if, a rebuild would even be possible anymore. And so what was it like the ability, like how did Kevin and Steve and, and, and others go about reamassing the collection and, and kind of starting from scratch? If you, if you don't mind. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I wasn't sort of in the back room when, when all those deals were made from my recollection, like it was just a lot of, you know, there were a lot of like smaller time dealers that, you know, I think they bought up collections from operators in different areas. I, I, cause I remember a lot of the machines would have like, um, smoking tar on like the play field because they've been in bars and stuff like that. That's not something you encounter as much as you used to. So it was just a lot of lots from, from, from things like that, from collectors and, and old machines that had been on location. And like you said, yeah, I mean, back then you could buy, you could buy machines for relatively, you know, nothing compared to what they are today so it probably wasn't nearly the chore that it would have been like today to amass a collection like that because i'm sure the entire collection is probably appreciated in value a lot since that point oh my god sure. yeah i mean you, you hear now of papa was able to get like you know six twilight zones that you know and they were like fifteen hundred dollars a piece or something that all the games were that cheap at that point you know yeah i remember like they were really like back then they had like a ton of twilight zones they had a ton of adam's families um, they also had, for whatever reason, uh, a ton of uh, Simpsons pinball parties. Like the guy that ran the place 
Rob Chesnovich at the time, he was like obsessed with the game for so whatever reason we had like four or five of them at, at one point too. <laughs> so because uh, he kind of heralded that as like the new Adams family, it's, it's a good game. But uh, yeah, it was weird. Like I think um, Herb or Mark, as some people call him, uh, thinned down that that duplicity of the collection a little bit. And now now I think I think it's like maybe there'll be two of a machine. But back back in the earlier days, there were a lot of like a lot of duplicates of big machines because. You would see Adam's family in the finals like, you know, every other year. I remember another thing is there was a World Cup soccer in every division every year. I don't oh, know yeah. if you guys remember that. That was like a, a really weird anomaly. But like it was the one guy that ran it, Dave Box, said, well, it's an international game, soccer. So obviously, as if that was made a lot of sense. So <laughs> there was always a World Cup soccer. That was another little detail I forgot about that uh, for, for years you could reliably count on there being World Cup soccer in your bank. I was going to say, I, I've played that World Cup soccer in, in each division because I started in C, then went the next year to B, then didn't qualify, and then the next year went straight to A just because I was like, this is how I'm going to progress as a player. And I remember playing those World Cup soccers, and it was interesting kind of seeing how the games are set up differently for each division because I remember playing it in the C division and being like, oh, I can backhand that that multi-ball start scoop from the right flipper, no problem. And then I go to A, and it's like, I can't even hit the scoop on a forehand. Like, yeah. this is this is tough. And I feel like it has, that's how it kind of has to be. Otherwise, you can have some top-tier players playing these machines for very, very long, and that's that's not going to be good whenever you're, you're going on uh, tickets and you're trying to get as many people to be able to play the machines as possible to basically get more people playing and get more tickets in and more entries. So it's, it's, I, I do like uh, the fact that they did have the world cup soccer in every single division almost every year, because it was kind of interesting to see the, the scores in terms of a division versus B division versus C division. And then ultimately versus the, the final, uh, the most recent D division that was created. I, so I've played in the A division and the B division and the C division. Uh, Tyler, have, which uh, which division do you place yourself in these days? And have you always been there? Do you think about moving forward? Um, well, you know, the last pop I actually competed at, at B division, but I was in C division for maybe, I don't know, five or six years. And uh, then I started doing B division. But I've never actually competed in an A division in Papa. But I think I think it, when it comes back, I think that's why I'll place myself. I mean, in Penberg, I usually end up in A division in Penberg. And two years ago, I was was winning a group away from making it on the stage at, at, at A division Penberg. So I think I think I'm at least at least that's where I would place myself. I feel like I, I like sort of need to be there. But uh, when it was when it last happened, I was in B division. And I was just outside of qualifying for B. So, uh, Evan, do you have any uh, experience in the Papa qualifying? Yeah, outside of the first year, it was C, and then I want to say I did B. I didn't qualify, but I, I want to <laughs> say I upgraded myself. But I, I feel like I'm in a very similar boat as, as Tyler is, and that Pinberg seems to be the one that comes back to mind. Like, a totally different format, right? But you know, the machines are the same machines; they're all set up just as tough, and um, you know pretty much the same extremely tough competition from all over the world comes to, to both tournaments. And last year uh, for, for Pinburg, I was one point away for, for making it on the stage for a division. Oh. So that's kind of like, I feel the next time 
Papa comes around that I, I want to tell myself I, I'm good enough to at least attempt a division. So we'll see. <laughs> you know, like you guys, you know, we all love volunteering from for Papa and they're always in need of assistance with uh, keeping the machines running during the tournaments and all the other aspects of, of any tournament that require all those behind the scenes people to, to make it happen. And uh, sometimes I'm always getting asked, you know, uh, to help out being a technician and stuff, which I, I love doing that stuff as well. That's as much fun to me as playing uh, pinball, you know, so I kind of split my time. So some years, uh, you know, I'll opt to help out, make the tournaments run and make them happen. And other times, you know, you like to compete. You wish you could do both, but you can't. So yep. um, we'll, we'll see. You know, I miss the people. I think, you know, Tyler alluded to that. I just want to see you guys again, period. Yeah. I don't care how the tournament pans out. It just being around all of our friends and stuff. That's just, to me, the most sorely missed aspect of, of all of this. I think it's a, an interesting point with uh, having all the people and seeing how, how their experience is. Not uh, not just my experience, but I like hearing how other people handled coming to uh, a tournament such as the Papa Championships. And it's also interesting because uh, some things people like to talk about whenever they're talking about the machines that they played is basically how they're set up and how they're they're different from maybe one that they've played or maybe one that they even own. So that's something that has to be done by, I guess, like we call them the Papa Crew in terms of uh, the techs and uh, and the tournament directors, like they, they have to get together and they have to kind of make adjustments and change some things on some of these machines. And some things are, are pretty standard, like removing outlane rubbers. But there's also some fun things that I've seen recently, such as putting a little piece of uh, plastic inside of the flipper rubber on the left flipper on Earthshaker, that way you can't just keep repeating that ramp. And it's it's interesting finding those things because I remember uh, playing Twilight Zone in the A division um, qualifying a couple years ago, and I was like, "There's only two balls in the gumball machine," so that kind of changes my thought process. Like maybe I shouldn't go for multi ball. Maybe I should just try to hit the ramp spell gumball and put a put a ball in and hopefully I'll get that beautiful ceramic white ball and and put the power ball back where it belongs and go into a multi ball and uh, things like that kind of make me change my approach to certain machines and I, I love the camaraderie of talking to players that have played those machines and they'll be like oh have you played the attack from Mars yet and I'd be yeah. like no and then they'll be like oh well it does this and then you know it's it's set up very, very tight tilt, probably the tight, tightest tilt on all the machines in the bank. And then like hearing that and talking about certain things like that, it, it, like you're saying, it really makes me miss the people. And for me, I just love talking about pinball, which kind of comes back to the purpose of me wanting to talk pinball on a podcast of being able to adjust the machines and alter the machines, not just for playing in the free play area or the coin drop area, but changing them for the tournament takes time and it definitely takes consideration right right evan you mentioned uh kind of when we opened this whole thing uh someone brought up doug polka and and for those who don't know <laughs> doug is uh, a man of mystery no um he uh you know helps run all of these tournaments and he's a tournament director of, of pinberg he's a tournament director of papa tournament director of you know a lot of the great tournaments um has been around the scene 
way, 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 way before I got into it. And uh, it's funny, you hardly ever see the guy play, and yet his knowledge of games is skillful and deeper than most people because all of these things that you just talked about, how to tweak and adjust a game skillfully to make it still fun, but challenging enough for the most highly skilled players in the world so they're not going to spend 45 minutes to an hour on that. And just taking the extra balls off is not enough in, in a lot of these games. People know how to exploit them. They know how to repeat shots endlessly. It takes an amazing skill to be able to do that, but there's a handful of people who will play a game till the flippers fall off. And Doug is one of the best, if not the best in the world, at identifying ways to take a straight-out-of-the-box pinball machine set up as it would be on location somewhere, a, a bar, an arcade, you know, what have you, and adapting it for tournament play in a way that makes it fun and competitive at the same time. He's just amazing at it. Agreed. And the things he does are so subtle sometimes. Even for those of us who know a game like the back of our hand and maybe even own the game, you may play it a half dozen times and not notice the thing. And then someone else is like, hey, did you see what they did to XYZ game? And it's like, oh, well, that totally explains why you know yeah. I couldn't make that shot easily or I kept dying because of, you know, um, or draining because of, you know, this thing. I just couldn't get through my head that it was out of place. And it takes hours and hours and hours for to go through the games and, and and do this and it's a very underappreciated aspect of these tournaments well part of it is what helps is we have those whole fight club series of tournaments where we have these qa tournaments that evaluate all the machines where a lot of local players will come and play on the collection and they'll record play times of the machine so if they see people are doing much better on, I don't know, like saying no fear. Obviously, you have no fear. They'll go in and uh, maybe gimp that upper flipper a little bit or something like that. <laughs> yeah, they got to uh, change and adjust a couple things. And um, it's it's like, like Evan said, it's things that need to be done in order to make the tournament run smoothly. And I think one of the phrases I love hearing whenever I go to tournaments, whether they're in Pittsburgh or if I travel for them, is whenever someone's trying to explain how a game is set up, they always say it's tough, but fair. And to me, that's very important that you can look at it and say, you know what, that's actually, I deserve losing that ball. I deserved having this happen to me because of my actions. And ultimately, I'm I'm kind of on the fence when it comes to what you deserve and what happens in pinball. Because let's face it, you're the one putting the ball in play. So anything that happens is a reaction to you letting go of the plunger or pushing the button. But uh, tough but fair is what I like to hear. It's never our fault. It's always the game's fault. It's, it's never it's my fault. That's right. Let's, let's get that straight. No. Um, and, you know, it, it, and it's, it's not a perfect science. And so you always find games that even after tweaking... And after these fight clubs to assess how long the gameplay time is, something's still going to happen one way or the other where someone's going to play a game ad nauseum. And I, what was it? Uh, World Poker Tour, I think. I was uh, just going to say that. They had to pull the plug, basically. Yep. It just went on. Yeah. And then there's games that nobody will play because it's just 
brutally evil and goes on the other side of there's fair but then there's like if all you, everybody's doing is getting aggravated <laughs> like that's not fun either so very true um and then you learn you know so the next time around it's like okay maybe i went too far on that machine or or maybe not far enough on, on another and and in the long run you end up with just a, a great tournament and i i think we're at that point for, with both papa and pinberg you don't hear a lot of complaints one way or the other everybody just just seems to love the scene one of the topics i wanted to touch upon tyler i'll start with you is is this knowledge so you 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 know you've you've picked up on some knowledge of of a game through playing and qualifying and someone comes up to you out of the blue and and maybe asks you you know what what did they do to that machine or uh how's it playing or you know maybe a newcomer asks you you know what's the strategy on a game and and what are your thoughts on from a tournament perspective i guess you know being forthcoming on 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 that information and how do you feel the the scene in general is with respect to that well obviously it really depends whether or not i think i'm going to be like competing against this person (laughs) very true um no i mean but i mean kind of all kidding aside i mean you know i i sort of have always sort of have kind of focused on a cheat sheet for every game I, I, Pittsburgh Pinball League has a, a a guy by the name of like Lewis Bevins who sort of has a photographic memory of every rule set ever and can tell you how much a pop bumper is going to be in this mode and you know that sort of thing. I don't have a knowledge like that and I kind of don't um, operate that way. I'm sort of more of a, hey, you know, generally speaking, you want to start this multi-ball and think about getting this mode started. Um, and that's kind of the sort of knowledge you sort of gain on the floor like if i were to go up to chris before i was going to play x's and o's i think i did that one specifically because chris infamously had an x's and o's for oh, a yes. long time he might tell me like you know three quick things that i need to know about x's and o's. you know time skill shot and uh we all all infamously know about my uh my my game of x's and o's <laughs> on stage <laughs> but um i mean that's basically it i mean you know just kind of give people like a real quick thing that they need to like to worry about but certain certain machines, you know, you can't do things like like you said. Like I, I know specifically, like um, on one of the Guns and Roses at Papa, they put these huge pads on the side of the ad member shot, so you can't easily backhand it or even forehand it for that matter. And it kind of changes up the strategy that you're, you're going to do. So you you just say maybe not, you know, maybe not go after that. Just worry about. Um, you know, super pops or, or, or something like that. Um, that's, I mean, that's basically it. I mean, I, I basically just generally speaking for most of the games in the Papa collection, I have a working knowledge of just a basic thing you want to do. Like on, what is it? Ice fever. You just want to like, you shats the lane, you know, light the spinner and hit the yep. spinner. Like that's just a lot of games. It just boils down to just two sentences and, uh, and you just pass that along. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, Definitely good to be able to to talk amongst your friends and the people that you travel with to discuss how to perform better on certain machines or what to even avoid on certain machines. And uh, and that's like that's some of the things that I'm I'm missing being able to talk about and not having tournaments. It's kind of a bummer because uh, we're missing having that kind of camaraderie right now where you're discussing new things that you might have figured out on a machine or an Easter egg on Jurassic Park. Like these are things like like that that I think really bring together the experience 
at Papa and at a Papa championship or even at a local tournament that someone might go to. But when it comes to the Papa championships, it's going to be returning in 2021, like I stated in the beginning. So what I want to know, this is a question for everyone, is what are you most looking forward to with the return of the Papa championships? Now, obviously, Tyler mentioned that just being around people in general uh, is going to be great. And that's true. But what I want to know is, in Papa's past, what do you think is going to be great to bring back? Or is there something that should change? Or is there something that we don't have that you think we should have? And uh, Evan, if you don't mind, I would like to start with you. Well, I definitely agree with Tyler that just having warm bodies together in a room less than six feet apart would be <laughs> a massive great day uh, all Agreed. around, especially if it's pinball um with respect to the format and you know i may get criticized for what i'm about to say but the format which we haven't even talked about the format yet maybe we should we should do that um but there's a monetary aspect to to the way papa format works to me and when we this will become more clear when we talk about how it works I, i i think there's a potential advantage where maybe not necessarily the highest skilled players can qualify but the highest skilled players with unlimited wallets can qualify um and i'm not saying that's the case all the way around but i feel that some people are put off by this format because it is i hate to use the term because it it has a negative connotation and and stock market and other uh, arenas be careful like a pump and dump oh no in other words you gotta keep kind of feeding the meter uh in an attempt to qualify and you know the stress of that and anxiety of that kind of sometimes gets gets the best of people um and you know that midnight hour approaches on on the last evening of qualifying and it's just this uh you know race to get there which which has its benefits so you know that adrenaline rush and really putting your mind to the grindstone and trying to, to get through a set of games that uh, will give you the necessary score to, to get in. Or perhaps you already think you're in, but you're on the bubble of getting knocked out and that whole stress and anxiety level. But, uh, you know, if, if there were one aspect of that that I would consider looking into, it would be how the tickets are, are accessed and, you know, used throughout the tournament. But I, I love the format. I love that Papa has separate side formats. Like, um, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just going off memory here. You know, the classics divisions, which are, are playing the older games and nothing else, which is awesome. Yep. Um, a junior division for the kids. Um, split fit flipper uh, game, which involves a, a couple of people, um, each playing one of the two flipper sets. On, on a game and that's a whole other challenge you know some things i like to consider added you know maybe a one-handed tournament or something goofy like that or uh something involving critical hit carl d'angelo's kind of deck of cards there where you get uh randomly handicapped by whatever you draw with the cards um and 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 having those other side events so people who just come for the weekend casualty or casualty <laughs> casually rather <laughs> maybe they suffered a casualty um if they come in casually and want to get into the competitive scene but ne- not necessarily jump right into the papa world championships that there are 
some things of uh, that a lesser skill set would be invited to and encouraged to participate in to get their feet wet. Since you did bring it up, I would like to elaborate on the the Papa format real quick. I'll try to make it as quick as possible, but ultimately with the Papa format, you purchase a ticket, and on that ticket, you go up to your bank of machines for the division you choose. Uh, Let's just say you're going in the A division, and in the A division, there will be a set of 12 different pinball machines to choose from, and you have to pick five machines out of the number, let's just go 12, And you can play them in any order that you want, but you can only play that one game uh, one time on each ticket. So let's just say game one, you play Paragon, and then you do okay. Then you go, okay, well, game two, I'm going to play Wizard of Oz. And then you do great. Then it's like, okay, game three, now you're starting to feel like you need to complete this ticket. So your final three games you want to play you want them to be solid they don't have to be out of the park home runs by any means but they need to be decent because the way that your ticket affects you in the standings is whatever score you had on that game on that ticket will give you a value so if you have the number one score you would originally get a hundred points and then the person that has the second highest score would get, I think, 90. And then the third highest score would get 85. And then from that point on, whenever you go down the standings, you just eliminate one point. So 84, 83, 82, 81, 80, 79, so on and so forth. So having a number one score is huge, obviously. And then, but someone beating that score at some point in the uh, the weekend will drop you 10 points immediately. Yeah. And that's pretty tough. And those are things to consider whenever you're you're doing a ticket. There's a lot of different strategies and ways to play around it, but but we're going for simplicity here where you just have to put in five solid games on a ticket, and then at the end of you finishing your final game on your ticket, so you're finishing your fifth game, once they once the volunteers take your score and you approve of it, you then have to push a button that says to void your entry, which means you completely eliminate the scores that you just did and you lose the ticket or you can confirm it and you punch your ticket, so to speak, where your your scores are then put in the system to figure out how many points you earned with the scores you got on those machines. So it's it's really, really hard to, uh, to kind of think about it at this point. And it might be difficult for some to understand, but uh, eventually I would love to do some kind of a YouTube explanation to this and, uh, and, you know, hopefully more info on that later. But ultimately you're trying to make a ticket with your five, with five games that you get to choose out of a bank and you just want to play your best. Do you kind of, do you think you kind of want to go like less certain to more certain when it goes through the games that you play in terms of a strategy? Yeah. In terms of like maybe a game, you're not as sure you can blow up and maybe put your more like comfortable games towards the end of your ticket. Well, for me personally, it all depends on what day it is. Is it the first day? Is it early? Is it late in the day? Um, Cause hmm. sometimes having a big game on game one rattles me and it's like, now I'm feeling the pressure, which is funny because right. having a bad game would be like, oh, now I'm stress free, and this is this ticket is just for testing. And I would pick four games that I think I can do well on. That way, whenever I play my next game, I'll have a more solid idea of the five games I might want to choose. 
But uh, but basically, coming out of the gate, I want to play the games that I know very well, the rules, and what my strategy is going to be. Because whenever I start to second-guess myself, whenever I'm on a machine, I change my strategy. That's when I'm at my worst. So that's what I try to do. Hmm. So, Chris, you you know, you decide ahead of time, these are the five games I'm going to play. Game one, the game eats your soul and it's terrible. And you're probably going to end up with, you know, less than 10 points or something if you were to punch the ticket. Does that change the games you're going to play at that point? Since, you know, probably you're going to void that ticket out. Um, do you play the same other four that you had originally decided on? Or do you use that ticket? for a different purpose in terms of let's just say practice at this point i'd say at that point uh it would be for a different purpose i'd be playing more defense so i'd be playing the games that i'm not that great on or that i've seen people put on decent scores that i don't think they're gonna be a part of my final five game ticket that way let's just say game one is is worth zero points but if the one of the final four games is good enough to knock someone's score down one point, that one point might be worth enough for me to punch my ticket in with five different games to get ahead of that person. That's why this there's so much strategy involved with choosing the games that you want on the ticket that you think is going to be your best ticket. But every single ticket that you confirm and you punch in, it, those those scores also get counted against the scores on your own tickets. So if I have four crappy games and game five, I get the number one score. It's not that's not going to be worth me doing anything if that number one score that I had is going to be on a game that I'm planning on having on my final on my best ticket. But if that right. knocks the person that was originally in first down to second then it might be worth punching. No, I totally, totally am on board with exactly the, the same methodology. And and one point does make a difference. So if you got top score on all five games you played, you'd have 500 points. Unheard of. That, that's like not a thing. Um, <laughs> of course, the, the worst you could do is a, a zero across the board. And, you know, generally speaking, it depends on the division, of course, and, you know, how people are doing throughout the, the several days of qualifying. But believe it or not, like, mediocrity is not a bad term in this thing like being slightly above average consistently is probably going to get you qualified and you do see a bunching of numbers and and where certainly one or two points makes a difference in a number of spots definitely when you have you know potentially hundreds of people competing so somewhere in the upper 200s lower 300s with a, a total five game score may be exceptionally good uh, on a certain division a certain weekend just depending on how the the games are playing oh yeah i mean you can qualify with five games where you get 50s 50 points you know what i'm saying you can qualify you might be able to qualify with 250 points which also means that if you needed 250 points you can have two zeros and still qualify right Mm -hmm. so there's so many ways to look around it and uh, and that's why i'm not sure if it has been confirmed that uh, the Papa Championships of 2021 will be with the original Papa format that we are discussing because in the last Papa Championships, it was ultimately a best game format or herb format where you basically could play one machine over and over and over. Once you have a score that you're satisfied with, that's your top score on that machine, and then you can go play something else. 
which uh, to me that's that's great. But uh, I, I I love the strategies involved with the pop a ticket, even though I'm terrible at it. It makes it a lot yeah. harder. It really does make it a it lot harder. It really does. So what do um, I'm gonna ask this to Tyler? So Chris mentioned you know time of day or time of weekend plays, and and I agree. And for me, the aspect is wax. So you know, as a tech, I know that these games all come freshly cleaned and waxed, you know, right when we start the tournament. And so they are playing insanely fast and out of control usually. Um, and over the course of hundreds and hundreds of plays over the, the qualifying period by, by the end, um, you know, thankfully where gets into that wax and, and the, the game slows down to a reasonable pace. But on the flip side of that, if you show up Thursday early, there's probably only a handful of people in the building and mainly from the local area because, you know, people travel from all over the world. Maybe they're still at work and, you know, all these regular parts of life that play into the ability to travel to a tournament. And so your ability to just jump on a game is easy early on where toward the end, now everybody's kind of fighting tooth and comb to get their last tickets punched. And, and so the cues on a particular game get pretty deep. And so what I want to ask you was, you know, what what's your strategy in terms of getting on a game early because it's easily accessible, but at the expense of it playing very fast versus waiting and having to deal with cues and, and just that incessant waiting that occurs to play a particular machine uh, when you're in the middle of your ticket, say later on uh, in, in the weekend. It's, it's, it's kind of weird you say that because this is kind of always my curse in, in, in tournaments is I always play a lot better early and i don't know why that is i think part of it is kind of games kind of maybe they play faster but they also are more teched out and as the tournament kind of goes on things sort of break down too but there is kind of something to be said for kind of picking a ticket where you can sort of kind of maintain a flow because nothing kind of you know really kind of hurts you mentally more than putting up two good scores and then having to wait 45 minutes to play Attack from Mars or something like that, let's say. And um, it, it really is, a, it is kind, of a, a kind of a careful calculus that you have to make based off of who's playing what, what you feel like you're good playing on, uh, what's available, and what those lines are like. And I, I don't know if you can like, say there's like any one formula because the situations are always, are always going to be different. But um, I think that's just like stuff that you have to take into consideration. I remember just the PPO, which is a, a real similar format to the Pittsburgh Pimble Open, which just happened uh, not that long ago, even though it seemed like a couple of years ago. <laughs> uh, it was like the same format. And I, I had a really good ticket. And then I picked a game and I had to wait for a super long time. And I was I was just a different person then. <laughs> and like whatever whatever uh, wave I had been riding of Mojo had kind of like sort of uh, had sort of drained out, and I I wasn't really really you know there. So for me uh, personally, I like to just keep playing because like I I think I kind of get sort of in a streak, and I I, I want to play that. So I think generally speaking, I will choose to play something now rather than wait 45 minutes to play that one game i feel yeah i i hate waiting and it's yeah. like especially then if you ended up waiting that 45 minutes and you had a really terrible game you just want to like bury your head in the sand and scream um so it's almost like 
if you're good at really obscure titles that you don't think other people are going to play, you know, that's like an advantage. Chris, what are your thoughts on the whole weight game during qualifying? Uh, well, ultimately, I like to play. I actually don't really play early in the mornings, which is funny because I I like to get there as early as possible. But for recent times, I, I've noticed myself uh, having to work and then I wouldn't get there in time. But uh, you not show up for something. Oh, oh about that but yeah uh no uh i i always show up but uh who knows what time right but basically right. i uh there are some games that i've seen where it's like i want to show up early and play whirlwind that way that upper flipper is strong as it can be because playing that whirlwind at like 8 p.m that upper flipper might not be able to make that side ramp and like and i've done that where i would like literally show up and my first game on the ticket would be whirlwind. And if I destroy that upper ramp, I would like stop playing pinball, go play in the, in the coin drop areas or, you know, go hang out with some friends, maybe go get some lunch. And I might not even play another game of competitive pinball on the banks until like four hours later. And that's just because it's like, I want to be able to put a score on this whenever I feel like I might have a, a bigger advantage with the state of the machine and also state of the machine can be super important because there were times where I was waiting to play twilight zone and the person in front of me just so happened to drain while they had two balls locked and the power ball out. So the power ball was the very first ball that kicked out as soon as I walked up and pressed start. So there are some things that you can control and some things that you really can't control right. that could ultimately decide how good your game is. And like, I feel like that is pinball and that's kind of the part of the, the fun of it. Whenever you're in a tournament like that is like, you really never know. But I always say to everyone, like whenever you step up, step up to the machine, check the game state check where things are check how the rubbers are on the outlanes how dirty are the rubbers on the flippers like there's so many different things to look into and and those things will change whether you play at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day so just like you're saying initially to tyler do you want to play on that freshly waxed play field or later on with kind of used flippers but a slower play field. Like there's so many different ways to go about it and trying to strategize around that. It's, it's kind of up in the air, in my opinion, but there are some things that I do want to focus on in terms of how a game would play being early in the morning versus being near the tail end of qualifying. And it's it, honestly, you, you can overthink and overanalyze all of this stuff and it's not going to matter, <laughs> right? You yeah. still have to play the game. Yep. Um, and no matter how skillful you are, sometimes bad things just happen to good people. And sometimes you're just going to have your uh, lifetime career game on a machine. So exactly. Um, the head, the head games definitely uh, can mess with you though. Yep. You definitely have head games and uh, it really all depends. And, and when it all comes down to it, just like the name of this podcast in general, sometimes you just got to play better plunge better flip better nudge better there's so many different things and uh i think i'd like for us to to wrap this up uh tyler do you have any anything you'd like to contribute before the end of this episode 
uh, yeah, there was kind of one question we never kind of got to me about, and you were saying, what am I looking forward to about Papa? And I just kind of wanted to say one thing about that really quickly. And uh, the cool thing about Papa uh, for me, and maybe it's partly living in Pittsburgh, but Papa was sort of this like home for pinball, you know, sort of like this like HQ, like Pinburg and a lot of other things are like itinerant by examples, you know, they get put put up and torn down, but Papa was this place that kind of persisted like there's an HQ and I kind of, I'm not sure exactly what they have in plan, but like having that as like a base of operations was pretty cool. And I, I sort of look forward to that. That kind of uh, keeps the uh, pinball light burning all year round. I got it. Yeah. That's uh, that's, that's very true. I always enjoy having that light burning and uh, Evan, anything you have to, uh, to give for this? Yeah, um, I guess we kind of forgot to explain what Papa stood for. <laughs> so um, for those who are listening and aren't aware, uh, Papa can be found on the internet at papa.org and stands for the Professional Amateur Pinball Association, which means by professional and amateur, it caters to everybody. So whether you've never played a game in your life or you're the best player in the world, the environment is there for all walks of life, young, old men, women, doesn't matter. Um, we want everybody to come and have fun. Like you guys, I, I, I miss the old place in Carnegie. There's something about that carpet and the layout and everything that just made it homely. Um, and the facility we've moved to, it's nice that it's on higher ground and it's not going to flood. But, uh, you know, it used to be a Kmart and it still has the looks and feel of a, you know, retail shop with concrete floors and really obnoxious overhead fluorescent lighting and it looks like something out of the movie saw it's just not <laughs> inviting you know and it's not their fault um it's just a place we needed to to have all the games kept um and hopefully you know maybe something cool will happen someday where we'll have another hangout if you will or home to to host these tournaments on just such a massive scale yeah. which is awesome you know the amount of people that are in this hobby sport um whatever you want to call it is just incredible and i just cannot wait to have all those people back together i can't wait to get papa tv back spun up uh, again so we can kind of all play um and have some fun there on the the, the twitch streams and you know all that stuff and i want to thank all the people out there that have been doing twitch and, and and youtube and these other things to kind of keep the sport and hobby active and interactive while we're all you know segregated here yeah i definitely agree and uh i mean you and i evan have been able to have some fun with uh, the twitch streaming we uh we have a, a twitch channel for uh play better pinball and uh you know just trying to have some fun trying to put some content out there, which is basically what the, the podcast is also about and what the Twitch streaming is all about as well. Yeah. So definitely, definitely. If you guys haven't uh, set up a notification or follow for, for both, you know, Papa TV pinball, as well as us with, with play better pinball, Chris and I have uh, been isolated quarantine, whatever you want to call it. And uh, we're going to kick off some, some streaming fun as well. In addition to this podcast. So looking forward to that. It definitely. And I'll also be looking forward to future episodes of us talking about pinball and everything pinball related. And maybe we'll get our alternate hosts here as well, because uh, there's definitely more coming. And I'm excited to be able to talk with more people 
feel free to email us at playbetterpinball at gmail.com. And you can also follow our Facebook page. But uh, for now, big thanks to Tyler for coming in and uh, and hanging out and giving us a, a big rundown on the Papa facility and a little bit of the history. And of course, big thanks to Evan for being in there. And, and a big thanks to you, the listener, for coming and hanging out. But uh, until next time, see what you can do to play better. Take care.